0: Okay, my job is to try to keep you awake uh, this evening. Uh, once again, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, i 've really enjoyed the fellowship, some great conversations around the meal time, and um, I, I know i 've been been doing this every um, every session, but I, I do really want to once again thank you. I really do appreciate you, and as I said before, i 'm a product of the kind of ministry that you do. How many of you are married? Okay. Um, How many of you are not married? Okay. I've been married for a a long time. Um, Married to my first wife. And uh, we've been married for 33 years. And the first year of our marriage (laughs) was, was by far the worst year of my entire life. Um, we, we, Cindy and I tell people we, we, have been married for 33 years and it's been the best 32 years of our lives. (laughs) Why? Well, I'll just tell you, um, it's late. I'm going to cut it a little bit short. I'm going to get right to the point and be brutally honest. You know why? Because I wasn't able to say something to my wife. I'm Sorry. I didn't see my parents do much of that, but that, the simple t- two words, I'm sorry. I wouldn't, couldn't, for a number of various reasons, say, I'm sorry. Later we had kids, I've mentioned we've got grown kids and by God's grace, in spite of our best efforts, they're wonderful kids. Uh, and, they're, and they're married to, to Christians and Cindy and I realized, you know, Cindy, we just disagree and struggle and our kids see this. We just, they watch us struggle and what we, we went through years of trying to hide it. And we finally sat our kids down one night when they were old enough to understand and said, we want you to know a couple of things. You're going to see mom and dad because we're human beings and we're sinful. You're going to see us disagree and struggle and have uh, some fights and, and arguments from time to time. But we're going to promise you a couple of things. We will never leave you. You're going to see us struggle. We will never leave you. And you will just watch We'll work through whatever we struggle with. You'll see it. We'll never leave you. We will always love you. And we'll, we'll ask for each other's forgiveness. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. It's a psalm you know. Maybe you have it memorized. Most of you know it. Well, it may be the... Um, <laughs> The, the the most read memorized um, psalm in the Old Testament. The story behind it is is familiar. Uh, for our purposes, we've been using the, the the sort of imagery of songs or prayers for the road. And we started out by saying the very first psalm emphasizes what is was it what is it to be blessed? What is blessedness? and it emphasizes meditating on God's word, uh, sucking up God's word like, like water, like nutrients, chewing on God's, on God's word like chewing on a bone and digesting it, bearing fruit. And then we looked last night um, at Psalm 119, the importance of being taught, of learning, of growing, of obeying, um, and putting ourselves in environments to have that. Individual meditation, corporate teaching, and obedience. Tonight, um, I want to say just a, a few things about this psalm that I have returned to again and again and again in my own personal life, and recommend to others in their lives through um, the many struggles that 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 people have. You know what? If you've been a Christian for a long, long, how many of you have been a Christian? How many of you can't ever remember not being a Christian? Anybody like that? How many of you have been a Christian for less than... Anybody been a Christian for less than, say, eight years? Most of you have been a Christian for a long time. Well, if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, you can pray. (laughs) I'm going to give you an outline for how to pray this. You can pray this prayer. If you've been a Christian for a short time... You can pray this prayer if you're not a Christian at all. Hopefully, you're all Christians. You look like Christians. Uh, but, but if you know somebody, it's a beautiful group from up here. I wish you could say. Uh, if, if somebody is not a Christian, they can pray this prayer. No matter where you are, young, old, no matter what life stage, what stage of growth, pray this prayer and your life will change. Because essentially you'll be saying, "I'm sorry." And are there more word, are there any words that are more freeing than "I'm sorry?" "Forgive me." Forgive me." Let's read it. Psalm 51. Uh, For the music director, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge Surely I was sinful at birth Sinful from the time my mother conceived me Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb You taught me wisdom in that secret place Cleanse me with hyssop And I will be clean Wash me And I will be whiter than snow Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back from you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God. My Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and that my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of righteousness, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. There's a lot there. It's late at night. Let's be clear. What's this prayer all about? Lord, you can take this and pray it tonight and for the rest of your life. Lord, forgive me, change me, use me. Forgive me, don't stop there. Change me, don't stop there, use me. Forgive me, change me, use me. What's the background? The background, put very simply, is David is playing God with people's lives. If you look at the account in 2 Samuel, notice the word send. He sends here and he sends there and he sends here and they send, he sends there and he's playing God. What was the, the very first temptation to our first parents on the third page of, of your Bible? You can be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen to me, says the serpent. Eat of the fruit, and you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. And here's David at the pinnacle of his power. He has control, he has wealth, he has power. He's a man of action, he gets things done, he says, jump, and people say, how high. So he sends his army off. And as I said before, if you look at the, the account in 2 Samuel, you'll notice this word, sends. He sends his army off. He sends his servants to find out about this beautiful woman. He sends for Bathsheba, this beautiful woman. He uses her for his purpose and he sends her away. But it all comes crashing down with three words. I am pregnant. What's he gonna do? Well, he starts sending again. And he starts sending his runners and commanding people to go here and go there. He sends for her husband, Uriah. And he brings him back. Go into your wife. Take a break. Be with her. He won't. He has too much commitment to his troops and too much loyalty to David and too much integrity. So he won't do that. So he sends word... um, to Joab, his commander, make sure Uriah dies. Uriah the Hittite. I don't know, sounds to us today like a, a rock band or something, but Uriah the Hittite. Who was Uriah the Hittite? Number one, his name was Uriah, but he was a Hittite. He wasn't even an Israelite. You know, most Hittites had no problem with worshiping a thousand gods and offering human sacrifices and practicing temple prostitution. But Uriah left his people to serve David. He left his people to commit his ultimate loyalty to a new king. He's one of David's mighty men. He's a navy seal. He's the best of the best who's left his country, his people, his ways, everything to be loyal to David. Joab, makes sure that you send him out into the fiercest fighting and that you step back, you and your men, and you make sure that he dies. And, of course, Nathan comes along. These prophets come along and and, um, mess everything up on a regular basis by speaking the truth. And Nathan said to David, let me tell you a story There was a rich man and a poor man. The poor man had a single lamb, and this lamb was like a pet to him and his family. Very special to them. The rich man had lots of sheep, lots of lambs. And uh, the rich man had some guests come into town, and he took the one poor man's lamb and slaughtered it and fed his guests what was David's response to this story? Like most of us, he's quick to recognize sin in someone else's life. That man deserves to die. What does Nathan say? You are that man. You are that man. Now, most of us have not done what David has done. But we have probably, if we're honest, murdered people in our hearts. We've thought all kinds of things and wished all kinds of things. And sometimes you wonder, does it happen to you? Where did that come from? Where did that thought, where did that idea, where did that perspective pop up? in my heart, in my life. Of course, Paul tells us none is righteous. No, not one. First John 10, if we say we have not sinned, uh, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. And then we have this prayer and we have David holding nothing back. Have mercy on me. I know my sin. My sin is ever before me. I have nothing to offer. <laughs> I've, I've, I was conceived in sin. My sin is ultimately aimed at you, O oh God, and I know it. Have mercy on me. Loit the slate clean. Wash the dirt away. It's not my father's fault. It's not my mother's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my teacher's fault. It's not my coach's fault. It's not my employer's fault. It's my fault. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We can say now as Christians. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And here is David, um, right on the, the brink of, of grace. Forgive me. You know, the, um, one of the things my dad... I'm aging myself a little bit. You know, the, the ultimate tough guy when I was growing up, there were a couple of ultimate tough guys, but one of them was a guy you've all heard of, John Wayne. And every time John Wayne would come out with a new movie, my dad and I would go see the new John Wayne movie. Anybody know what John Wayne's last movie was? If you're a movie, we we Cindy and I we we kind of have gone. We're kind of going back and watching movies on the Turner Classic Station. We're watching those old movies from the 40s, 50s, sometimes 30s, and and we saw this movie recently, and I'd forgotten about it. Anybody remember the Shootist? Uh, And John Wayne dies. Bottom line in in this movie, John Wayne in real life when he was making this movie had cancer. Ultimate tough guy. And he's facing death himself in real life. And he rides into town, this little town out west, and he's going to, in the movie prepare to die. He's going to die in the movie. He's going to die in real life. Very interesting. And he's this gunfighter. And uh, all all the other bad guys realize that he's about to die and they want to be the one to shoot him, to kill him before he dies. They want to get revenge. So he rides into this little small town, stays in this inn. Lauren Bacall is the innkeeper there, Mrs. Rogers. And he stays there and all these bad guys come into town from all over the country because they wanna kill him before he dies. And they break in the windows and they set the building on fire and they shoot people up and, and, and all of her boarders, all the people that are living there in this inn leave and the place is in shambles and you have this dramatic scene of Lauren Bacall uh, confronting John Wayne. Who do you think you are? Mr. Famous Tough Guy Gunfighter in the movie. Who do you think you are? And he says this. It was so poignant, particularly considering that he was a, had cancer. he said, I'm a dying man. I'm afraid of the dark. And I have nowhere else to go. Amazing (laughs) that John Wayne is actually dying of cancer. You know, that's us. But as I said last night, we don't have to stay in the dark. Everybody's heart has a certain number of God-given ticks in it. 100% of us die. Don't know when, don't know how. We will, should the Lord tarry, as they say. There's a lot to be... We recognize we're facing death. We recognize there's a lot, of, lot to be afraid of. And there's one place we need to go. To God, through Christ, by the power of the Spirit in confession. Have mercy on me. Um, I saved this one for tonight. Um, I wasn't able to use it earlier today with, my, with, with Lewis. Do you remember the, the story in the Chronicles of Narnia when, when Jill is, is uh, lost? It's in the, the silver chair, and she's gotten separated from all of her friends. She's a little girl, she's lost and lonely and scared. And she doesn't know where she is. And she looks in the distance, and she sees this stream flowing. She's hungry, she's thirsty, and it looks like there's life down there, and, and, and maybe I can get a, get a drink there. There's a problem. In front of this stream, if you remember the story from the silver chair, there's somebody. You remember who it is? There's this big lion pacing back and forth. It's Aslan. And she begins to to build up her courage and walk in that direction. And uh, he looks at her and says, are you thirsty? She says, I'm dying of thirst. Then drink, said the lion. Jill says, may I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? The lion answered with a very low growl. By by now the delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic, Uh, and she builds up her courage again and says, "Will you promise to not do anything to me if I come?" And he looks at her. Remember, he's the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia, and he says, "I make no promise." Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer, and she finally said to him, Do you eat girls? And he says this, I have swallowed up girls and boys, men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms. And she says, Then I dare not come and drink. And he says, then you will die of thirst. Oh dear, I must go and look for another stream. And he says, there is no other stream. Christ says, "Um, take my yoke upon you. My my burden is light. I will give you rest. Rest. But he also says to somebody like Paul, who he has called to spread the gospel to the nations, that I'm not going to remove your thorn. Power is perfected in weakness. He also says to his own son, the father says to his own son in the garden of Gethsemane, you must drink the cup. There's no other way. Remember Jesus, do I have to do this? Yes. Paul, do I have to bear this thorn? Yes. Confession of who we are. We see this, David recognizing this. I need you. You're where my thirst is quenched. You're the way. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the only way. I'm a dying man, scared of the dark. Um, Forgive me. But then he goes on to not stop there, not with forgive me, but he goes on to say, change me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Sustain me. In other words, yes, forgive me. I recognize my sin, but change me, renew me. Give me joy. Create in me a, a pure heart. Sin is no match for grace. There's a great story of a, a, a period in our country called the Great Awakening when um, a number of 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 uh, God was using a number of preachers and others to preach God's word. And people were flowing into the churches. And you probably heard of, of um, Jonathan Edwards. And there was this large gathering of of men. Uh, the God was, was working in a, in a mighty way. And there was this large gathering of men in this church one night during this period in the mid-1700s where we were having this great um, revival. There were 800 men gathered and Jonathan Edwards was speaking to them and somebody walks up to him and hands him a letter. That's from a wife. And he decides to take a little break from this meeting and reads this um, letter and it's this woman pleading for help. And she's asking that for his help with her husband. My husband is unloving, he's prideful, he's, he's difficult. And Edwards has no idea who this man is or where he is in this large number of people. So what do you do? So um, he decides to um, take this letter... And and read out publicly, um, not not who the woman is, but read out publicly. You know that I've received this note about a man. This really happened. I've received this note about a man who needs to confess, a man who is unloving, a man who is prideful, a man who is stubborn, a man that we need to pray for, a man that needs to confess his sins and be changed. Um, sir, would you, will, would you be willing to reveal yourself so we can pray for you? These men are out there. There are 800 men out there. Can you guess what happened? Half of them stood up. Half of them recognized the great need. Ezekiel 11, and I will give them a new heart, a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone uh, from their flesh and give them uh, a heart A flesh. David is now praying for something that he knows he can't do himself. He's praying, forgive me, and I can't change myself. Please change me. Please renew me. Please restore me. And then he goes on and says, Now Use me, and this is really important to understand about this psalm. Sometimes we can miss this. I need to be forgiven, I need to be changed. But look what he says now then I will teach, and I will sing, and I will declare your praise. He goes on to talk about how this will benefit all of God's people. He longs to be used to the benefit of of the church, of the people, of the people of God, not just so he will have his sins forgiven, but so he will be a benefit to others. Deal with my sin, deal with my heart, but now use me for the benefit of other people. I will teach transgressors. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, my mouth will declare your praise. In your good pleasure, make all of Zion uh, prosper. Build up the, the walls of Jerusalem. His concern, this is vital here, his concern is not just with himself, but it's with all of God's people. It's with all of the rest of God's people, for the whole body, for the whole community for the whole church. And it all started with Nathan saying, you're the man. You're that man. Almost a thousand years later, there's almost something exactly, almost the exact wording said about another king. You remember there was a, a Roman politician named Uh, Pontius Pilate, who uh, writes a sign, King of the Jews, puts a purple robe on Christ, a crown of thorns, and says, introducing Christ to the people, behold the man, behold the man, and they shout, kill him. And we'll celebrate his resurrection this Sunday on Easter. Um, Eugene Peterson um, puts it this way there are no experts in the company of Jesus. We're all beginners, necessarily followers, because we don't always know where we're going. Following Jesus is a unique way of life, it's like nothing else. There is nothing and no one comparable. Following Jesus gets us little or nothing of what we commonly think we need or want or hope for. Following Jesus accomplishes nothing on the world's agenda. Following Jesus takes us right out of this world's assumptions and goals to a place where a lever can be inserted that turns the world upside down and inside out. Following Jesus has everything to do with this world and almost nothing in common with this world. And he goes on to say, you'll never really know Jesus until you take the risk and actually follow him. Following Jesus doesn't get us where we want to go. It gets us Where he wants to take us. It gets us where he goes. Um, C.S. Lewis puts it this way Christ says, Give me all. Forgive me, change me, use me. Christ says, Give me all. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I want the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it. I want it out. Hand over everything. The whole natural self with all the desires that you have. Everything. And I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will will become yours. Lord, forgive me. Change me. Use me. If you remember nothing else, you probably forget a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you, it's late. Forgive me, change me, use that, teach it, make it part of your life. Forgive me, change me, use me.